Hello and welcome to Paleo Cinema Podcast 268. My name's Terry Frost and this time we're doing Korean and Japanese films just to vary things up a little bit. I'm breaking a rule a little bit because the Korean film is from two years ago and I normally do more than 20 years old. But because I'm embracing other cultures and embracing other ways of looking at things, I'm breaking that rule this time around. And I also have a guest and the guest has selected the movies. And our guest today is Nathaniel DeBell. How are you, Nathaniel? Well, yeah, I'm very well, thank you. It's, uh, I'm very happy to be on, finally speaking with you, Terry. Um, I completely forgot about your 20-year rule. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> Sorry about that. Yeah. No, no, that's okay. I'll, yeah. I'll break a rule for a friend, so it's all good. Uh, so what we'll do is um, just tell people a little bit about yourself, what you do, what you like, and then we'll dive into the rest of the podcast. Well, uh, currently I'm uh, I'm a uh, a master's student at the University of Melbourne. I'm sort of in my final year of study of a master of mechanical engineering. Um, uh, of course, with how things are uh, recently, sort of been a bit of an up upended year, um, but that's that's all fine. Um, sort of, in, it, I sort of work part time as well. I uh, work in a machine workshop, sort of as a machinist, sort of programming metal and plastic parts for your sort of aftermarket automotive sort of uh, medical industry, that sort of, those sort of customers. Mm-hmm. So in, in my spare time, love watching films. I uh, listen to a lot of podcasts, including uh, this fine podcast here. Um, and and really the, the main purpose I listen to so much is because um, I want to discover new films, um, new interesting films. And uh, Terry seems to be quite a font of knowledge uh, on that front. Thank you for that. Yeah, um, um, I should tell the audience that you and I, both being in Melbourne, are locked down at the moment, and we're not allowed to go out unless we wear a mask. We're not allowed to go out for, except for essential shopping for one hour and one hour of exercise per day. So we're basically locked down. We're, we're, the closest thing you can make to it is probably where the people inside New York can escape from New York. <laughs> That's right. Uh, I think it's a lot, lot more uh, friendly than than uh, escape from New York. And um, but it, it's it's positive though. I mean, the yeah. purpose is is to protect people mm-hmm. and uh, get sort of rid of the the situation you're finding ourselves in. So I don't have any problem with staying indoors if it, it's helping to solve a problem. I agree with you as well. And I'm in the postcode in Australia that has the most cases at the moment. Oh, wow. So I'm like ground zero. And even here, um, people are doing the right thing. We went and picked up some, uh, we wanted to get some takeaway food for the next couple of days. So we went to our favorite cafe, did a quick in and out there and uh, and got some uh, pies and, and other bits and pieces so we don't have to keep cooking for ourselves all the time. But uh, for the most part, people out here are, are doing the right thing. I think it's in places where they don't have as many cases, where we're getting a lot of people doing the wrong thing. They're going out there, uh, not wearing masks. They're doing all of that kind of stuff. But uh, down here, we take it really seriously. Well, well that's uh, it's good to know. I mean, sort of the reason why we're in this situation is because not everyone has done the right thing. Mm. Uh, so hopefully with the, the current restrictions, more people will do the right thing and uh, we can uh, – solve the problem yeah and if you're a security guard don't fuck the people in lockdown <laughs> that goes without saying yeah, yeah. absolutely <laughs> which is how all this done but yeah i mean keeping morale up i was uh, actually i actually got interviewed for the radio because we did um the old guard the new movie on netflix with Charlize Theron for the abc radio gig 
and right. it, it okay. was an action film, so we didn't have to talk the whole half an hour for that. So we did talk about what it was like being in lockdown here in Melbourne because uh, Darwin isn't in lockdown at all. They're all you know sitting in cafes drinking shandies, and uh, and so they're having a great time up there. But they really wanted to uh, get a first hand thing, so we did about ten minutes on how it is with lockdown, and uh, I think it went well because the people up there that I've spoken to and the people in other states and around the world that I've spoken to um, really are sympathetic. They're not kind of smug and, and ha-ha, we don't have to do that. They're incredibly supportive of what we're going through down here and, and of course, the people in America as well who have it so infinitely worse than we do. Yeah, it's. Um, I, I think sort of as a world at the moment, mm-hmm. I think there needs to be a lot of compassion and uh, and empathy for, for everyone else sort of who finds themselves in these, these trying circumstances mm. um, because uh, otherwise... Uh, it's not looking like it will go away anytime soon. Yeah, and I think the thing I want to do too is there's a tendency to go into your little tribes when this kind of stuff does, when this kind of stuff happens. Even if you're in lockdown, people tend to retreat to their own kind in a sense in their own areas. So I've been watching mm-hmm. more films from other cultures and uh, doing a lot of things like that. I've been watching Indonesian action films and stuff like that because I really I want to hear other people's stories. My whole thing for 2020 is other people's stories and stories told from different viewpoints, mostly through yeah. cinema. And I think I, I, I completely agree. And, and part of the reason why I, I brought these two films to you is because they come from different cultures and and different uh, peoples with different perspectives. And I I, re, I really appreciate world cinema and, and looking in a sort of diverse way around to try to find interesting, unique types of films that I've never seen before. Because that's what I think makes cinema so interesting, is that you can get all and you can experience and and learn from all these different viewpoints uh, without leaving the comfort of your own home. Absolutely, and I think that there was a time in Australian cinema, in particular, where um, Australian cinema was all about looking at white people in colonial Australia. There were so many historic dramas and things which were telling, for the most part, a white narrative. There were exceptions, like the Chant of Jimmy Blacksmith and a and rubber-proof fence and things like that. But for the most part, it was very much a monocultural viewpoint on the past in Australia, and that was the only kind of films they were making in Australia, apart from some cheap and um, quick exploitation cinema as well. So I think we've learned a little bit more since then, but uh, that time really pissed me off with Australian film. Well, yeah, I think, especially in modern times now, Australia and Australians are really questioning what Australia is and, and what it, 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 they, Australia wants to be going into the future. Um, and I think hopefully more people will embrace the, the multicultural um, identity of Australia and, and start telling the stories of, of more than those people who came 200 years ago on boats and, 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 and took the land away from it's traditional owners. Yeah, I mean the the one that the most recent one that got a lot of flack for that kind of stuff is Palm Beach, the one with Brian Brown, in it, which was about wealthy white people living on the North Shore in Sydney, questioning their lives. Right. <laughs> uh, I haven't seen yeah. that one. It's, it's on one of the streaming services that I've got a subscription to, but at the moment, it's really um, not high on my list of things to watch. Let's say. Yes. Yeah. Because uh, that kind of stuff is. 
so old school and also that story's been told a lot of times. Uh, and I think that uh, telling new stories from new viewpoints is just refreshing. It, it kind of cleanses your cinematic palette in a lot of ways. And I, I really like seeing that. So um, what have you been watching lately apart from the movies that we've done? Well, I've um, I've been watching quite a few things, uh, given that there's not not very much yeah. much else to do. Um, I, I've, I've I've sort of uh, probably the big project that I sort of I I've been through over the last sort of month or so is I watched all the way through Twin Peaks, uh, all all the series from the original series to the the new series that came out a couple of years ago, including the film. Yep. I know that they're available on on Stan in Australia now, and uh, I I had access to it through a friend, and uh, I thought, okay, I I watched the Elephant Man again earlier this year because I know there was a sort of a 4K restoration that was uh, released, so that sort of put me a bit of an appetite for watching uh, David Lynch again. Yep. So I, I ended up watching all the way through that. Um, I think it's a, it's an interesting series. Um, it has sort of the problem that I find American television series have in that because they they usually run for a lot of episodes. Yeah. That what what I found in the beginning was so interesting about the series all these sort of unique characters who inhabit the world that David Lynch is portraying is they they lost their uniqueness and interestingness as you learnt sort of more about them and, and the sort of the stories developed. So I, I, at the end, I, I was glad I, I ended up watching through it. It, it did have it, its high moments, but I don't, I don't think it was as, uh, as successful as it could have been. Yeah, I think at the time it was a breakthrough because at the time there was all um, network television in America and suddenly having something like this in network television in America was a game changer, even though it wasn't... Yeah, looking at it retrospectively, it's not as transgressive as it seemed at the time, but it, it did um, break through a lot of doors and windows for uh, network television at the time before there were a lot of um, streaming services and, of course, cable um, was really big. So, yeah, it's uh, and having a director of David Lynch's prominence making a television series was a bit of a, wow, is he doing that kind of thing at the time? Yeah, yeah, I, I I would agree with you there. Um, yeah, so I, after that, I also ended up watching Blue Velvet, which was the first time that I I'd uh, seen that, which uh, which also stars Carl McLaughlin in, a, in his role prior to Twin Peaks. Um, he was yeah, I, I, yeah. Oh, sorry, you, you continue. Yeah, he was in Showgirls. Oh right, okay. Yeah. <laughs> so that may have been after <laughs> Twin Peaks, but uh, yeah, I remember him in Showgirls. In that, um, in the in the fountain swimming pool, with one of the most yeah, painful looking sex scenes ever. Uh, it's not a film that I've uh, had the pleasure of seeing. I think it's one that's better enjoyed drunk. Okay. Yeah, <laughs> but, uh, yeah I, 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 yeah. So it's all blue velvet. I, I mean, I think probably I'll, I'll take a, a break from David Lynch. I think I've seen most of his. His work, his, his major works now. It just feels like maybe it wasn't so advised to sort of have a big hit of them um but yeah um, aside from that i mean i have watched quite a few interesting films um i I watched um hero from 2002 the uh 
Wuxia oh, uh, nice. movie by Zhang Yimao. Mm-hmm. Um, this was the first time I'd seen it, um, and I, I was I was really blown away. I was really impressed um, by that, and I, I understand because I heard it cited. It was sort of one of the key Wuxia films that sort of uh, broke through to the West, along with things like. Um, Crashing Tiger, uh, Hidden Dragon, yeah. uh, and uh, House of Flying Daggers, and so yeah, I uh, I thought okay, I'll see this, and I was I was amazed with with what they managed to do, um, and it, it, it was more than just the the action scenes. Mm-hmm. Sort of my criticism of the martial arts genre is it seems that it, it sort of moves from problem to problem by by beating people up, but this one it sort of it wasn't really about that. And it, uh, I really loved the way it was shot and yeah. how they transformed the film as they moved through the different perspectives using the color and, and the way that they staged everything. It was, it was, it was a really impressive film. It's, it's probably, uh, I'd say it was the best film that I saw last month. Yeah, I'm going to have to check that one out. Do you want to hear a radio ad from the 1950s before we talk about what I've been watching? Yeah, that that would be great. I oh, hang on, it's actually from the. I'll give you one from the nineteen seventies, uh, because I've got a bunch of radio ads lined up on the soundboard, and they're quite fun to listen to in the way they are. And then I'll talk about. Uh, I haven't been watching that much, but I'll just talk about what I've been watching. Trouble is here. He wears six hundred dollar suit, drives a ten thousand dollar car, and he carries two guns: one to stop trouble and one to make trouble. Come apart. But now, he was born in the ghetto. I didn't make it, baby. Playing by the rules. Raised in the streets. I come apart, baby. But now, fine. Trouble is this man's name. Checking trouble, sugar. Moving down the line. Trouble, man. Ain't gonna let it sweat me, baby. If you're looking for trouble, look out, cause trouble is here. Robin Hooks is Trouble Man. You jive him and he'll wash you away. Trouble Man from 20th Century Fox. Rated R. Under 17. Not admitted without parents. Trouble Man with an original Marvin Gaye score. Yes, I thought I'd throw a few of those in uh, just to break things up a little bit. Love those 1970s um, trailers. Yeah, it's... um... It's, it's, it's something that you, you don't get nowadays. <laughs> yeah, and I think it was done by a guy called Adolf Caesar, who also was a character actor. So he had any of the black exploitation ones; they get the black guy in to do the voiceover, and Adolf Caesar did it like nobody else. But yeah, um, what I've been watching is actually Korean. I've been binging a Korean TV series, and that's been up, taken up most of my time, which isn't taken up with general life stuff and also uh, the YouTube and the and the podcast and and the radio thing. It's a TV series that's on Netflix called Hotel Del Luna, and it's a little bit unusual. It's uh, about a woman who runs a hotel for people on their way to the afterlife. So there, there are ghosts and things like that, and she gets a manager who's actually a human being, a young guy, because you have to have a human manager for reasons, and he uh, and her kind of have this fraught relationship. They're both incredibly attractive, and they've got to go and help people who um, uh, won't pass on to the uh, afterlife. And it's quite fun to watch. It's got the romantic stuff that a lot of Korean TV series have, but it's also got some very dark supernatural elements to it. There's a really nasty female ghost that looks a little bit like 
the woman from um, Ringu, you know, the one that crawls out of the um, the yes, well, yeah. but somewhat different. And they do a twist on it too because what she actually is is a victim of masculinity and of male actions. And so the series does cover that in some really interesting ways and there's an ambiguity about the evil ghosts in that series and other people as well. The woman's been running the hotel for a thousand years, so she's been around for a thousand years. And suddenly this brash young man comes into her life and changes it. And it's addictive as hell. And it's very, very well done. The plots are tight. The characterizations are really well done. And the special effects are as good as I've seen on television. That sounds, yeah, very interesting. I uh, might uh, give it a look to see if it would be something that I'd, I'd like yeah. to see. Yeah, the other one to try would be yeah. Mystic Pop-Up Bar, which is a little lighter in tone, but along similar lines. I think there's this whole thing of... Um, supernatural Korean dramas where handsome young men meet supernatural women who are attractive but a bit scary. Right. Uh, I think it's almost a genre there. But uh, it's, it's a lot of fun to watch. The music's good. The character actors, the older actors in particular, are really interesting to watch and, and listen to. And, uh, yeah, it's uh, it's something I'm kind of embracing and leaning into is uh, the way television is, particularly genre television, is in other countries. Yes, um, and, and it all feeds into the first film that we're going to be talking about. Yep, Maggie from 2018. Now, just let me play the trailer for that. Uh, people aren't going to know what they're saying unless they speak Korean, but it gives you a bit of a, a feel for the mood for this film. And uh, it's kind of an interesting one. I don't think it's entirely successful, but it's a very interesting film. I'll just play the trailer. Come home to me. And that's it. The trailer. Um, tell us about the movie and tell us why you picked it. Uh, also known as uh, the fish that saved the world, is um, it's a, a film which follows uh, the character uh, named Yu Young, uh, who works in a private hospital. Uh, and what is is set up at the very beginning of the film is that uh, everyone loves the X-ray room. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, and at, at the very beginning, uh, the radiographer and her boyfriend, uh, they are having sex in the uh, x-ray room, and uh, the um, x-ray machine goes off and takes an F x-ray of them in the act, uh, and this ends up being sort of published and seen around the hospital, uh, but the hospital aren't sure who uh, are the culprits in the the uh, X-ray, and the suspicion falls on Yu Young uh, and her boyfriend, um, 
and that is sort of the setup of the film, and then things move onward from there. It's a comedy. It's quite an absurd comedy. Um, and uh, the reason why I picked it is because I saw this actually this year, earlier this year, mm-hmm. and um, I was really impressed by this. This is the, the feature film debut of Yi Uksop, uh, a, a woman Korean director. She's done uh, short films before this. Um, and as a debut uh, of a film that I don't think there has been very much conversation about, and especially since Korean cinema has recently been sort of pushed into the limelight with the success of uh, Bong Joon-ho's Parasite, mm. I, I thought it w- uh, when I was looking around at films that would be easy for you to see on, on streaming services in, in Australia, this was one that was on Tubi, which you've championed before on yep. the podcast. So as soon as I saw it there, I thought, ah, oh, this would be an interesting film to talk about. Um, and, and that's the reason why I, I chose it for today. Yeah, it's a really interesting one. I don't think it's entirely successful, but it is the first feature film for um, Yi Ok Siop. Uh, but I kind of like it. I mean, even though I don't think it, it follows through on its, even its concepts rather than the plot lines, it it is really interesting. The bone to be I've got to pick with it is with X rays. You will not see cartilage on an X ray. Yes, and so yeah. you're not going to see the guy schlong in, in the sex scene. I mean, it's necessary for the plot of the film. I fully accept that, but yeah, you're not going to see Dick. <laughs> uh, yeah, I, I, I that, that was something that I, I thought of as well when I when I saw it for the first. Yeah, time. well, they got that kind of it, picky mind. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, it, it it did it didn't detract though. It it, it made the situation more hilarious. Uh, yeah, and and the interesting um, thing, I mean, both of these films have absurd bits to them. Yeah, but I kind of like the way things are filmed. I like the there's a scene with a car with a really ornate hood ornament racing down towards the hospital, and it's yes. under it's under cranked so that the car speeds around mm-hmm. and things like that. We don't know anything about the car or who's in it or what's what's it about. But it does play into the narrative, particularly of um, the nurse and the doctor. Uh, there's a female doctor in there as well. And after yeah. this big um, kerfuffle with the x-ray machine and, and the schlong, uh, they, they're the only two people who turn up to work the next day because everybody's nervous that it's actually them in the photo. So she, um, the nurse turns up to um, hand in her resignation, which she doesn't end up doing, and the doctor's the only other person who shows up there. And they build yes. a, a kind of friendship. The doctor has trouble um, trusting people, and so they do some trust exercises by going to see the other staff members to see whether they're really sick, and they see one and he's really sick. And so they um, start getting the doctor on this trail of believing other people and having a little more faith in humanity. So that's just one of the subplots. There's another subplot there with a whole bunch of sinkholes opening up in Seoul, and so the nurse's boyfriend gets a job filling up sinkholes because they get a whole bunch of unemployed young people to do the job. And that kind of goes into that problem they've got in Korea of too many jobs, not enough people, and the incredibly high level of education and accomplishment you need to get a decent job in South Korea. There's, there's a lot of those kind of issues, some of which were kind of looked at in Parasite. Uh, so the more you know about South Korean culture, the more you're going to get from this film, I think. 
Yes, yeah, I yeah, South Korea. It's it's um, it's a uh, a country that I haven't seen enough films from. Um, so yeah, with my commitment to explore war world cinema, I feel like I need to really be paying attention to making sure that I'm seeing enough films from different cultures. And I know that there's a lot of interesting things occurring in South Korea and have been occurring in South Korea over the, the past few decades. So I really want to uh, sort of uh, go through a, sort of a back catalogue of the important genre works from there and, uh, and, and sort of gain an appreciation. So yeah. this, this was, yes, yeah, so I saw this, yeah, as I said, near the beginning of the year. And I, 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 was really impressed by it as a uh, a first film feature debut. I think it was a, it's a very competently made film. Um, it's it's and, beautiful in spots too. It's filmed beautifully. Yeah, it's, it's, it's amazing. I, I love the music that has been uh, added as well. It sort of it really suits the tone, um, and and the acting is is really good. The the lead performance of uh, Lee Ju Young, who plays Yu Young, she's a fantastic actress. Um, and I, I think that I think this like premiered at the Busan Film Festival, and, and she she got a prize for best newcomer uh, for it. I can so. see why because she she is kind of charismatic, and she also um, without she's one of those kind of lesses more actors in some ways. Uh, yeah, yeah, you know exactly what the character's thinking without her being over the top with it, and I really yeah. like that as well. And I even kind of liked her boyfriend to a certain extent. Though that ends up um, having an interesting arc right at the end of the film, but yeah, um, yeah. It's, I like, it's, I, it's quite interesting. The uh, the because the whole one of the central sort of ideas is the idea of trust, mm. and it sort of pervades through the film, and and with the the plot that develops towards the the second half of the film, is the breakdown in the relationship between Yu Young and her boyfriend. Yeah, because um, Yu Young ends up meeting the ex-girlfriend of her boyfriend, mm. who who tells her that he hit her. Yeah, uh, and that's the catalyst towards a breakdown in their relationship. I, I agree with you that this, particularly this section of the film, you, you lose clarity on on where the film is going. Um, yeah. I, I'm still I'm still enjoying it, but you you never really there's never really any resolution. To the ideas that are presented, um, yeah. But yeah, I, I still, I still think it's a, a really interesting film. I'd be really interested to see what uh, Yeok Sop uh, makes next. Absolutely. I mean, I think she's got a great career. If I mean, everything's up in the air with the pandemic, and I know that South Korea has had a certain amount of that as well. But um, yeah, I, I liked, I did like the characters, and I wanted to see more of some parts of it. I wanted, to, I liked the fact that as well that. Uh, the things I've been watching from South Korea, like um, Hotel uh, Del Luna and things like that, are in the kind of bright and well-lit and posh areas for the most part of Seoul and, and surrounding areas. So there's a lot of that kind of beautiful South Korea. But this movie actually shows you the grittier places, the, the working-class places, and the places that maybe aren't as photogenic. But they're filmed well, but not as photogenic as you get in the glossier works from South Korea. Uh, it's something which, of course, um, Parasite contrasts the two things, but both of those areas look better than they do in this movie. Um, There's something that I've found too with, uh, because Sal and I went to 
Japan um, in April last year. And the places I really liked weren't the big, glossy, glitzy places like Shibuya Crossing and all of that. They were the little, we stayed in a place in uh, Osaka, which is a kind of downtrodden working class neighborhood. And they're so much more textured and so much more real and so much more fun to be in with the stray cats on the streets and, and crows yelling at you from the tops of buildings. So I felt a little bit of that in the places where Maggie was filmed and that they were very much like that. They were kind of the places that are much more textured and interesting than the pretty places. And we should also mention that Maggie, the title character, is actually a catfish. That's right. Yeah. yeah. So the film, it has narration. Yeah. Um, and, and usually as with narration, you sort of expect it to be un unexplained. But sort of a third of the way through the film, it's the the narrator introduces uh, itself as a catfish, mm. uh, and this catfish um, can predict when earthquakes are going to occur, allegedly. Yeah, and jumps <laughs> out of the tank and makes a big splash when there are going to be earthquakes and other things causing potholes. And the interesting thing is it's actually a pun because Maggie, M-E-G-I, is the South Korean word for catfish. Oh, I didn't know that. See, that's why I get paid the big bucks. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so it is. So there's a little bit of a pun there. Uh, I, I've seen some reviews of this, and I was trying to get my head around it, so I watched the movie one and a half times, and then I looked at some reviews. The really interesting thing is the people who get it and liked it the, were the people who knew about South Korean culture. The people who didn't get it and didn't particularly like it are the people who came in cold to it and had no background in it so I, I kind of crammed the background so I understood it better uh, it's interesting just contrasting those reviews where people go yeah it's not that successful and other people go yeah well it's locked solid into the problems young people have in South Korea with work with education with relationships in particular and also with um, the violence of, of men against women so there are lots of different aspects of South Korean culture that really do play into this movie in a way that maybe we, as people from Australia and other places, don't really understand. Yeah, that, yeah, that's a really um, interesting assessment. Um, I think this all goes back to uh, films helping you to bridge cultural divides. Um, and, uh, yeah, especially, again, with how uh, sort of pertinent Korean cinema is becoming, um, I hope that more people go out and see Korean cinema and learn more about the culture. Or even just watch it on Tubi.tv. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's available free to, to watch in, in Australia, so you've no excuse. Absolutely. Uh, and the other movie, by the way, Funeral Parade of Roses, that we're going to talk about in a little bit, is on archive.org. Oh, really? It really is. I just found that out before, just before we um, recorded. So people can access these two movies pretty easily. But uh, for this one, uh, I mean, I, I like it. I like the conceit of having a catfish being the um, the omniscient narrator. And it's a good-looking catfish. I mean, I'm not too sure it's very happy being in a very plain rectangular tank. I'd throw <laughs> in a couple of, um, you know, those um, sunken treasure things with the bubbles just to keep it interesting. But uh, the catfish is there, and the way it's shot does make it look like it's viewing everything with an omniscient eye. And, um, 
Yeah, and then the relationships actually feel good in this too. The relationship between the nurse and her boyfriend, where he's kind of drawing tattoos with a sharpie on her leg and and things like that, and they're rolling oranges and other fruits around the body and that kind of stuff. There's just a, a very much a lived in feel to the relationships, which means that when things come to a head in the relationship, and she does things like throw that bicycle around, it really does have more of an impact because they, we have seen not sexually intimate necessarily, but intimate moments between the characters before that. Yeah, yeah. I, I'd agree. Yeah, the, the characters are very well drawn. Hmm. Um, yeah, it's, uh, yeah. all, all of the characters here are, are very interesting. And uh, especially this is, this is a film directed by a woman with two women leading roles. Hmm. Um, I think they, these are the kinds of films that people should be paying more attention to. Yeah, and there, there are some comic yeah. bits as well, like, the guy with an obvious gunshot wound who, come, who comes to the yeah. hospital in the car. <laughs> That's and, very, very funny, yeah. yeah. He, he claims that uh, he, he cut himself peeling an apple. Yes, <laughs> and yeah. yeah, and they pull a bullet yeah. out of him, but the doctor is obliged to believe everybody she meets at that stage. So she decides yeah. to believe that he had an accident cutting open an apple, and which, again, is, is one of those things that just shows that absurdity of trusting beyond evidence. And and that's one of the um, issues that comes up in the movie is trusting people who tell you things in spite of massive evidence to the contrary. Yeah, that's um, yeah, that's right. But uh, yeah, it's it's an interesting film. Don't go into it expecting everything to be tied up really loose, you know, really tightly, and and all the plots to kind of tie themselves up in a Tarantino pulp fiction kind of way. It's not going to happen in this film. You've just got to go along for the ride. Enjoy the location shooting as well. There are some scenes, uh, particularly the one with them riding on a bicycle, um, which, yes, which yeah. goes on really nicely. And there are also some kind of establishing shots, which are shot from just the right angle to make it most watchable. So uh, the director's got a fantastic eye as a as a um, maker of film to, even if it's just something that's moving the characters from one point to another, she makes it really interesting and gives you that moment to think about what you've seen already, almost as a breathing space. Yeah, like all, all the environments and, and sets, they really pay close attention to to make them as sort of interesting for the odds as possible. One example is that um, there's a housing development that is occurring and as a silent sort of protest, and it's, it's all covered in a, a blue sheet, this area, um, all, um, people are essentially pretending that it's sort of a beach environment and, and going going in sort of wearing their, their swimmers and, and with um, sort of parasails up and all, and all that sort of thing. And so there's a few scenes that occur there, just dialogues, and this is all sort of occurring sort of in the background. So there's, there's clearly been a lot of love and attention paid towards uh, the making of this film. Yeah, and lots of rubber ducks is around, which is always a nice thing. Any movie with rubber duck in it is at least watchable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so that kind of stuff. It really is a, a nice little film. Quirky as hell. Uh, go along for the ride, but don't expect it to you know, be a neat package. It's a messy package. It's got little interesting bits of stuff hanging out everywhere. And ultimately, uh, it is about relationships, even though the movie doesn't play that as a central narrative, but just plays it as part of the tapestry of what you see. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd completely agree there. Yeah. So we'll take a break now, and when we get back, we'll talk about the second film. Now, I'm looking for a trailer to play for you. Do you want a black exploitation trailer? Do you want a giant monster movie? Or that's your choice. Oh. 
Why don't we have the giant monster film? Okay, I've got a choice of two, but I'm going to go with the obvious one. This is uh, from the 1970s for a 1950s movie. And then we'll talk about uh, the second film, Funeral Parade of Roses from 1969, a Japanese drama directed and written by Matsumoto Toshio. Watch out for them, a menace never known to man or beast before, an endless horde of crawling, crushing, gigantic creatures, so horrifying there was no word to describe them. Watch out for them. Watch out for Warner Brothers' screaming new shock sensation, them. Yes, I saw them. They were huge and scaly, and they had gigantic jaws, and, and then one came at me. Kill one and two take its place. This is the endless onslaught of them clawing up out of the earth from mile-deep catacombs. See them, the most astounding journey into terror ever taken. Starring James Whitmore, Edmund Gwen, John Weldon, and James Arnett. Them! That was it. Uh, that was very much a retro kind of trailer in the 1970s for a re-release of them. Uh, so tell us about the second movie, uh, Funeral Parade of Roses. Well, Funeral Parade of Roses, um, it's a, a Japanese new wave film from 1969. This is an art theatre guild film. Um, the art theatre guild is quite famous for a period through the late 60s to the mid-80s um, of being involved in uh, assisting for like production um, and co- sort of commissioning uh, distributing uh, Japanese works that had been sort of rejected by the major studios. So these are worth of the avant-garde films. I mean, it is, it's, a, it's sort of a new... They sort of encapsulate the new wave, and they had a lot of very famous directors uh, releasing films under them, like uh, Nagisa Oshima, um, like uh, Toshio Matsumoto, which is the director of this film, Akio Jisoji, uh, Yoshishige Yoshida, um, so they have a really, really interesting catalogue of works that they produced over this period. Um, Funeral Parade of Roses, it concerns sort of the underground gay queer scene of the 1960s. Our central character, uh, whose name is, is Eddie, who's, who's actually is played by the actor who goes under the name of, of Peter, uh, sort of born... Um, Shinosuke Ikehata, uh, who it sort of has uh, is quite androgynous gay actor, does a, uh, has quite an interesting body of work. For example, uh, he was uh, in his probably his most famous. He was in in uh, Ram mm-hmm. as uh, essentially the the fool or the um, uh, the essentially the, the jester character yeah. uh, for the um, the Emperor. Um, so, the Funeral Parade of Roses, um, essentially, it's concerned with around essentially a hostess club, uh, which the hostesses are all transgender characters. Yeah. Um, and the, the central conceit there is essentially what you'd say is a love triangle between. Eddie and uh, the owner of the club uh, and, the, her, and Eddie's conflict with um, Leda, who 
it is essentially um, the owner's uh, previous lover, things are turning cold. This is sort of in the context of the plug, plug being used as a, a site for drug dealing and Eddie getting involved in that. Um, it's uh, I'm sort of talking about it in sort of roundabout ways because it has a it's an avant-garde film. Yep. It doesn't really have a linear plot stru- structure, and it, it's it doesn't keep to some traditional narrative conceits. It it, yeah. it break the film breaks down multiple times out of the actual narrative to deliver interviews with the actors, the transgender actors, um, in who appear in the film just asking them questions. And, yeah. and and that sort of underpins what is so incredible about this film as a picture of this period. Yeah. And just hold that thought because I'm going yeah. to play the trailer, which has got one of those interview things, and give people a bit of an idea about the different kinds of music that are in there as well. But please hold that thought. Yeah, that, that's all right. Okay, here we go. Peter, <laughs> いや、と思う。その自分の生活に生活も意外と似てるような感じで。生活に似てる Okay, that's that's the trailer. So, what were you saying? Sorry, I apologise for interrupting. No, no, that, that, that's perfectly all right. I've sort of gone on a bit of a monologue. So, <laughs> uh, going back to what I'm saying, is what is is so sort of incredible about this film is is a picture of of this underground subculture occurring in in Tokyo at the time, um, and the discovery of of. Uh, identity and and sexuality, which has become quite pertinent now. Um, I, I, I sort of refer to the characters as being sort of transgender, mm. but it's 
really interesting because where now we have essentially gone through the process of of trying to identify different kinds of people in these sort of groups, this is sort of like the formation of, of those sort of ideas. So these these characters sort of identify themselves in very sort of very loose ways according to being gay, sort of transgender, sort of in drag. It, it's very, it's very like, um, it's very loose. And it, it's such a, a remarkable image of that time and, and people really bucking the norms um, and essentially establishing that who they are as people. Absolutely. And it starts out with a um, kind of overexposed lovemaking scene between uh, Eddie and a boyfriend. Uh, is it Gonda, the boyfriend? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, it's quite hard to keep track of some of the uh, the names of the characters because it, 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 it this what this film doesn't uh, doesn't hold your hands. It, it, you really have to sort of be paying attention, otherwise it's gonna, you're going to lose your way. <laughs> yeah, and the interesting thing is, uh, Sushia Yoshio, the guy who um, plays Gonda, was in Seven Samurai as one of the villagers. Oh, I, I didn't know that. Yeah, he was in Seven Samurai. He was also in um, Redbeard. So he had a long career as yeah. a legit uh, actor in Japan. And I mm-hmm. um, don't know whether it did his career any good or not to appear mm-hmm. in an overtly gay movie like this, but um, he definitely commits to it and he's definitely um, into it <laughs> um, as an actor. And, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's an interesting film from so many ways because I went on this one cold. I knew nothing about it. I didn't even know the themes of the movie. You suggested and I just went in cold. And I thought, wow, this is getting this is really interesting, and it does give you um, a very complex character, Eddie, uh, who's got an incredibly fraught early life, and is a, a troubled person, but really um, is also vulnerable and and somebody about whom you care during the narrative. Yes, it's um, yeah. You know, Eddie is is quite a is a quite a flawed character. Yeah. Um. But with the way that the film flashes back to early events in her in her life, um, and sort of intercuts it with sort of interviews with the actors, and uh, you sort of appreciate what has made Eddie what she is. Yeah. Uh, um. I I sort of as a I'll just say just for as a spoiler that uh, this is, is quite a loose uh, adaption of Oedipus Rex. Yeah. Um, uh, so it's, it's, <laughs> it, it, it doesn't sort of hold back as you're getting towards the end of the film. No, and they also have a movie poster for Oedipus Rex on the wall at one scene as well. And I've got to do that joke that they had in uh, History of the World Part 1 with Mel Brooks, where he goes, oh, there he goes Oedipus, how's it going, motherfucker? <laughs> so, so yeah. every time I hear Oedipus, I got I hear that joke, which is a flaw in my character, but I'll, I'll accept that. There's also a scene with um, an art gallery that Eddie takes refuge in when some people are chasing her, where mm-hmm. there are masks on the wall, and, and there's a narrative about masks being played there as well. It's a really interesting way of um, reminding us about Eddie's inner life and uh, the complexity of being somebody who is was in the wrong body from birth 
in some ways. And, yes. and that yes. kind of thing. I mean, there, there are also some interesting nightclub scenes which probably are informed by what people have actually seen in um, not necessarily gay nightclubs, but just salarymen in nightclubs in general in, in Japan at the time, like the salaryman with the vibrator in his hand and and things like that. And uh, the fact that Eddie's friends, amongst other things, are making um, avant-garde movies, which kind of then blurs the line between the movie we're seeing and the movie within a movie. So there's a lot of crossover there and a lot of bleeding between those two ideas. Yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it's, it's 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 really remarkable with what was achieved, and and the performances are are amazing. I, I think this would have been Eddie's very first film, uh, mm. and she was sixteen year old, the yeah. the actor Peter yeah. at the time yeah. that made the film. Uh, so yeah, it's a, it's a really and in, and in one of the interviews when when Peter is asked about the role that um, they're playing. Um, it's it, it, so, so it's very important because it's sort of it's very there's a lot of similarities between uh, Peter's experience and, and the, the character of Eddie that they play. Yeah. Um, and they're talking about how he didn't grow up with a father either. Um, so it's a uh, yeah. It's a, you can see it's very personal to the the actors. Um, and they don't. They, and all of them are not. They're not actors. They're essentially just essentially people sort of inhabiting. The, the uh the their identities within, versions the of themselves yeah it's, yeah um, and one of the things you should mention too is there's some great locations on this film as well it was shot guerrilla style from the look of things nobody got permission to do things yeah and, it's, it's just amazing seeing tokyo at the time through the lens i mean the the, the photography is stunning i mean mm. this this era of photography in japan the the japanese new wave i mean the 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 black and white photography has never been better i i feel it, it's, it's just incredible what they they achieve there's that long scene too where they're shooting as the elevator goes up in the tokyo tower and they're talking yes. about how tokyo is changing all the time and every time you go up there it looks different but uh, the thing for me and i'm going to personalize this because i tend to do that in the podcast anyway a lot of it was shot in places in shinjuku and i spent it's almost two weeks in Shinjuku, and I know exactly where they shot some of those locations because apart from the facades, a lot of the buildings haven't changed, particularly around the nightclub district and the area where there's that scrag fight between the three um, roses and the three, you know, women. Women, yep. Yeah, so the, that area is still not entirely unlike that. And I double-checked on Google Maps, and sure enough, yep, it's definitely those places. And so they're actually, it's filmed in places I've been to, which gave me a, an extra level of realism there. And of course, not very few things apart from the interiors were set up for the film. So it is actually a documentary style shot of what was essentially the red light district of Tokyo at that time. And it hasn't changed enormously since then. The building where the um, Greenpeace Pachinko Bar is now was a pachinko bar looking almost exactly the same except for the facade in 1969. <laughs> it's mm. crazy how little has changed structurally in that part of Tokyo because it always has been considered uh, an area for criminals and kind of cellar dwellers. Yeah, it's um, yeah, it's it's it, it, it's yeah. It, as I say, it's it's an amazing film and. Uh, 
It's been it's been quite influential film. I mean, yeah. it's it's been often often cited. I I don't know any direct, sort of direct evidence towards it, but that Stanley Kubrick was um, influenced by this film in the making of A Clockwork Orange. Um, and um, yeah, I actually I haven't seen A Clockwork Orange, so I can't actually attest to that. I, I did I did watch uh, just a short video which sort of compared um, a few different scenes from A Clockwork Orange to Funeral Parade of Roses. Yeah. And there are certainly some similarities, e- even with music choices and, and things like that. Yeah. Um, like this, yeah, the uh, Funeral Parade of Roses, one of the reoccurring music choices is essentially a fairground organ playing Hail, for, Hail to the Bus Driver, yeah. which um, you've probably heard in that trailer before. Yeah. So, um, and, and you hear sort of, quite a similar um, music in, in some of the scenes in uh, A Clockwork Orange, as well as, as characters um, eating ice creams, very similar in, in, in dress to um, Eddie and, and her crew uh, in, in this film when they're going through a shopping center as well. So I thought it's quite a, quite a fascinating uh, sort of, sort of uh, idea that this yeah. film sort of influenced Stanley Kubrick. Yeah, I, th- I think I know that shopping center, by the way. <laughs> where Eddie went. It looks a yeah. lot like – I don't think there's yeah. too many like that in, in Tokyo. It looks like Nakano Broadway, right. so, um, which is now full of anime shops and uh, and manga shops and things like that. But it's it's got those kind of winding, narrow corridors because half of it's underground. So it, it definitely looks like that. And there's also in the movie the conflict between uh, Lita, the woman uh, – well, the girl running the show, uh, running the, mm-hmm. the club, and – Eddie, and there's that dynamic there because Eddie dresses in kind of mod clothes, whereas Lee yes. is a more traditional trans person in Japan wearing um, a kimono and with the mm-hmm. elaborate hairstyles and things like that. So they're contrasting there the old and the new in Japan as well. Mm-hmm. So there's a whole bunch of different um, kind of ways of seeing this film and ways that it's reflecting the changing world in which it was made. Yeah, that, that that that's certainly true. And of course, there's the relationship Eddie has with uh, her mother, which is yeah. um, where she's been mocked by her mother a lot. The father's gone missing, and the mother is um, kind of a monster in a lot of ways. But uh, the the whole movie, even though it's it's got changes in tone, it's got the serious stuff, it's got the very erotic stuff with Eddie um, lovemaking, mostly with her boyfriend. And um, and the comedic stuff, the the to the camera stuff, the drunken party with her friends where they um, play a strip kind of walking the line game and, yeah. and that kind of thing. And then right at the end, it becomes a horror film. Yes. Yeah, yeah. sort of every, everything comes crashing down. Yeah, um, very quickly. Oh, well, yeah. incredibly quickly, yeah. And uh, yeah. You, you see the flat and you see, oh, there's a really cool, Eddie's got um, coat hangers with Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe on and This is cool stuff. And then, uh, is it Eddie's room or is it Lita's room? But one of them has that anyway. And then uh, suddenly things come crashing down um, as Gonda and Eddie, after Gonda and Eddie make love. And that um, really reflects a bunch of other things, including a certain aspect of Old Boy, the Korean film. Yeah, I didn't I didn't think about Old Boy. Mm. Yeah, but yeah, it's um yeah, well this this is um 
you know, as 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 I said before, I mean, it, it's a a loose adaption of of Oedipus Rex. So yeah. it, it's quite quite a an interesting way of of adapting it. It's for a very novel idea of of reversing the of all the roles and including a very modern role as the the uh, Oedipus character. Um, yeah, and uh, I mean, I, this then took me down the rabbit hole of looking at how gay culture and gay people were accepted in Japan. Uh, the two main religions being Shinto and Buddhism have nothing to say against gay relationships of any kind. That's right. Yeah. Uh, there, there isn't that religious objection that you find well, in, there was in a certain... Christian countries. I mean, I, 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 that, I, that's sort of in very broad terms, yeah. but Japan is quite a, a traditional conservative country. Yeah. So it's it's not like this is it's powerful for the course. I mean, it's a very... Um, it, it's it's essentially going against the grain, which yep. is 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 always very challenging in in Japanese society. But there are a lot of really interesting examples of of Japanese cinema which sort of embrace um, the essentially different sexualities. Um, Absolutely, I've I've, I've 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 seen a few, not 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 too many. Uh, one example would be a film of the same sort of period, Manji. Okay. Uh, also known as Goddess of Love, which mm. sort of concerns sort of a four-way love triangle. It's, it's based on a novel from the turn of the 20th century and called Quicksand. Yeah. Um, uh, also one from the 1990s uh, called um, Light Grains of Sand. That was the title in, in English okay, markets. Yeah. Um, that was, a, I think it was directed by a, a gay director as well. And, that, and that's quite a, an interesting portrait of, um, of, Burgeoning sexuality in in sort of high school for yeah. two two boys, um, and that's a really interesting treatment of uh, of that. Yeah, it's interesting too because I found out yeah. the only law ever passed against anything kind of gay was a sodomy law in eighteen fifty two, which they had to put in to get trade with the West because the Napoleonic Code had a law against sodomy. And the only reason Japan put it in there was in the interest of trade. Well, yeah, yeah. The the mid eighteen hundreds is a very interesting period in Japan. This is sort of the major restoration, yeah. where Japan opens to the West. We have the the end of of hundreds and hundreds of years of feudal society as Japan starts to modernize, and in so doing, there's a quite a rejection especially in the upper classes of your old Japanese ways to essentially become what in their eyes is modern by adopting sort of what the, uh, what the West is doing at the time. So yeah, you know, this is a, a, a very interesting period. And it, yeah, it's sort of, uh, that's quite an interesting fact that it was, it was essentially because of the Western influence that, that Japan sort of made laws against. Yeah. Uh, and it, because there are certain uh, gods in the, the Shintoist pantheon, who were seen as protectors of male male love, and not oh, just one or two, about three or four of them. So there, there are all these kind of things. There's also uh, just so much. I mean, you can deep dive into Wikipedia and other sources, and just find out that not everybody had the same twitch about uh, the diversity of human sexuality as um, European and particularly Anglophone cultures. It's a it's a it's something that you could be researching for a very long time. <laughs> oh, yeah, I probably will because I just go yeah. down rabbit holes and, and end up four hours later realizing that I've missed dinner. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I mean, 
I love the, this movie for so many ways. In fact, after I watched it, I went to um, eBay and I'm buying a disc. Oh, good. Yeah, <laughs> so I've done that. So I've actually yeah. put my money where my mouth is. It's an important yeah, well, film, it, I think, I think in yeah, so yeah. many ways. Well, I mean, there was a, a recent restoration, uh, which is, is why this is sort of pretends to the, uh, a little bit of, of public consci- conscience. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, it's... it's if if anyone's interested in this film, I, I would definitely recommend buy buy a copy because there's a lot of love gone into restoring this and, and making it look look great. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I think it's um it's a very different movie than a lot of other Japanese films of their time, and and that's actually a good thing. That's a, a positive thing, and also it shows that. I mean, one of the things that we're watching movies from other cultures, and we've already spoken about that in, on this podcast, is the more you dive into the depths of how other people see the world and how their cultures are, the lovely thing is the more you find in common with your own. It really, the, the, different, the differences eventually curve back to being about people and people caring for each other and people wanting the best for the people around them. Yeah, so, yeah I completely agree with that. I mean, the big breakthrough for me on that kind of thing was 2004, we were in Dubai. And we went to the museum, which no tourist went to at that stage. It was just for the locals. And the one thing that really was a breakthrough for me was a whole bunch of kids in dishtashes and, and headdresses running around like mad people at in a museum the way kids do at every museum in every country in the world. Kids, even if they're on a school excursion, will run around with their mates and act up and bash their mates and, and dance around and look at things and, and yell at each other. The commonalities are across the board with the human race, and particularly at a time like this, it's, it's something that we need to remind ourselves. Yeah, we yeah, we definitely have more in common than and differences. Yeah, I mean, thanks for bringing these two movies to me too, by the way, because they are just they're outside my comfort zone, and I never don't learn something when people drag me outside my comfort zone. It happens with the radio when um, Beck, who I do it with says we're doing this movie because it's something in Darwin that's related to this. Mm. And so I get dragged out of my comfort zones and I've never had a bad experience doing that. Uh, one, that's one of the things about being a movie buff is when you do, I mean, apart from the one, I, I will make an exception. When I was about 22, my younger, my older of the two sisters, Sandy and some uh, other more distant relatives dragged me to the drive-in to see Xanadu. <laughs> and that was where I was outside my comfort zone and I, I still hate that movie. It, it's low, it's Gene Kelly's swan song, but geez, it's a bad film. I haven't, I haven't seen Xanadu. Um, I, I know, I can't remember the band who does it, but I've heard the, 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 the theme song. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's, I think it's yeah. Olivia Newton-John, but yeah, it's, um, it's so bad. It's crazy. And I was just cringing. I, I went to the um, to the food shop about four or five times so I didn't have to watch a movie. And you're <laughs> driving, you're trapped in a car, you know. It's, it's not uh, like you can walk out Italy, and, yeah. And, yeah. and look around. It's, it's, you know, you're trapped there. But, uh, yeah, apart from that, every experience I've had stepping outside my comfort zone has been rewarding and has taught me why I love cinema even more. Well, yeah, that, this all goes back to half the reason why I recommended these. I mean, it, 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 you tend to really 
it's unfortunate with sort of media is it, it, it tends to sort of focus on a few big hitters. Yeah. So you don't get a lot of diversity and, and thousands and thousands of films are made every year. Yep. And, and there's a, a hundred year history of film. So what, what I, or I, I love to do like I've done here is, mm. is, is try to find those gems that, that no one is talking about yeah. and hopefully to get more people watching them. Um, cause otherwise you're going to lose a lot of this knowledge. Um, as if, if you just live in a disposable culture where, what what is on in the big multiplexes um, is is the only thing that you're going to go see. Absolutely, I mean that's why I've been doing the podcast for 13 years is is just letting people know the stuff that's around, but they really just don't know about. It. Yeah, I'll, I'll go and see a Marvel Cinematic Universe movie when I'm allowed to, uh, but but I'll also embrace other things. And after a while, I'll watch a, a whole bunch of trash for a while, and then I'll go, okay, well it's time to actually get back into the into the trenches and watch the, the really difficult and challenging stuff again, because, uh, I'll, I'll go, I'll go both sides. My teenage years were spent watching trash movies in the 1970s. So I'd go to cheap cinemas and, and just watch whatever was on. And usually I was hoping for a bit of gratuitous nudity and a bit of violence, but, um, that's, that's kind of my native film going, but now I'm stretching out of things and really going into quality cinema. And it's a lot of fun. Yeah, I mean, you can't go wrong with with cinema. I mean, there's so much to choose from that you just just throw a dart at a dartboard and and you could discover a whole new genre director that you could just fall in love with. As long as it's not Michael Bay. <laughs> well, I mean, there, there are always a couple of exceptions, but I'm I'm sure there are people out there yeah. that love Michael Bay for for good reasons. <laughs> yeah. I mean, some of the people yeah. I, I'm friends with on you, other YouTubers I, I kind of network with, some of them love Star Wars movies and I can't stand them. But they like other things as well. And, and they're kind of embracing more and more other things. And it's nice to see them. They started doing their YouTube channel about Star Wars and Star Wars related stuff, but then they're stepping out of that and into other things. And it's nice to see people going there and on that um, kind of path. Yeah, I mean, yeah, Star Wars. I mean, you can't really get away from it now. Yeah. I mean, I, 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 I certainly have enjoyed the, the the original three films. I mean, it's it's not something that I'm I'm obsessed with, and it, it is sort of a a turning point of of, of cinema, and, and the, the it's really a, a lot of the reason why cinema is, is the way that it is it yeah. is now. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, everyone everyone is different, mm. and um, I mean. There's nothing wrong with, with, with disliking something that, that is popular. There's nothing wrong yeah. with liking something that's popular. We've got this thing on the radio yeah. gig uh, with the ABC radio where in every every review we do, Rebecca and I will either mention Die Hard or a Star Wars movie. Uh, <laughs> it comes back. It doesn't matter what film you're doing. You can find a way to link it back to one of those two films. Mm. And, it's, uh, and it's a running joke we have is who's the one who's going to do that? So we, we have a lot of fun with that. But um Yeah, I, I'd be interested to see how you'd link a funeral parade of roses to Star Wars. <laughs> well there yeah. are there, well there is a shootout between um the two people with the pop guns. Oh well, you, you could also make first, a reference yeah. to Akira Kurosawa with, yep. with Hidden Fortress being remade as as Star Wars. Yeah, there's, uh, there's I, look, you can do it. Yeah. 
any movie, you can link, link back to one of those two films in some way. <laughs> but anyway, Nathaniel, I'm going to end it there because I think we've talked about those two films. Do you want to come back on in the future? I, I'd love to. I mean, it's uh, it's been an absolute pleasure, and uh, thank you. Um, it's because it, it's it's um, I, I love talking about films, love discovering new films. So, I mean, I'm sure we can uh, we can work something out. I pick the movies next time, though. Yeah, great. That's fantastic. Okay, okay we'll definitely do that. But thanks for coming on, mate. And uh, listen, be safe. Look after yeah, yourself you too, and, and, and wear the mask, do everything they're saying. I think you're smart enough to do that, but uh, it's the kind of way we grid each other down here at this particular time. Well, yeah, that's, uh, that's certainly true. So, yeah, thanks very much, Terry, yeah. and uh, I'll, I'll see you around. Absolutely. Here are the credits for Paleo Cinema Podcast and Martian Drive-In Podcast, done in the style of movie credits to honour the people who support this podcast. Thank you to Tom, the focus puller, Sarah, the Special Effects Technician, Ian, the Caterer, Grant, the Technicolor Consultant, Claire, the Script Doctor, Gary, the Prop Master, Morris, the Musical Director, Jan, the Dialect Coach, Arm and our Key Grip, Matt, the Rattlesnake Wrangler, Elaine, our Scientific Advisor, Julia, our Casting Director, Chris, our Camera Operator, Christopher, our Gaffer, Miss Jane, our wardrobe mistress. Tansy, our foley artist. Alyssa, our location scout. Mark, our second unit director. Paul, our special makeup effects director. Tammy, the donut wrangler. Tim, our New York unit director. Rabbi Steve, our spiritual advisor. Uh, Steve Sullivan, our director of monster effects. Dylan, our goat wrangler. Eric, our set security lead. Richard H., our set photographer, Mark D., our extra, and David L., our extra. Kerry H., who is the accountant. And our newest supporter, Gary J., who is a CGFX technician. So thank you very much to all of the supporters of the podcast. I really appreciate you dipping into your purses and helping out with the podcast. 